Now Walmart and Connecticut hates us. <laughs> Hi, folks. Welcome to the Fish Nerds Podcast. Smart talk about fish, fishing, and eating fish. That is always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. Hi, I'm Richard Yvonne, and I'm from Twin Maple Outdoors, and here are the Fish Nerds. <laughs> and anything is fair game. It's a good bet that the big box stores now fear the power of the nerds. <laughs> Watch out, Target. You're next. Ah, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about a really great thing that started with you on Facebook. Start off telling us how this all happened. Well, you know, where I live, the only place to buy fishing gear is Walmart, which is sad, but at least they're there, right? And so I went there the other night, and I'm in the fishing section. is giant display. For four bucks, you can get, like, uh, split shots and fishing jigs. This giant package. I'm mean, four bucks, I'm in. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? So I'm cheap. Go over and grab them. I'm like, man, these feel heavy. And I look at them, pure lead. Uh, which in New, in New Hampshire is illegal. Totally illegal and getting more so as we go. Now, uh by the way, any fisherman now worth his salt is thinking about lead as an issue, even if it is legal where you're at. You should be considering getting rid of your lead. Yeah, but, exactly. But in New Hampshire, it's illegal. And so I pick up one and I take some pictures and I walk over to the guy in the fishing department. It's a little old, little old guy with some kind of crazy German accent. And I say to him, hey – I just want to make you aware that you guys are selling illegal fishing gear. In fact, I think it's not even okay to sell the stuff. Uh, and you should know because, you know, you should know. And he says to me, why are you telling me this? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, hey, I'm not making this up. And he goes, and I said to him, because you've got a blue vest on. <laughs> You know, and, then, and then he he and then he went on for a few minutes about like grumbling at me. And then he goes, "You need to tell a manager. I can't do anything about it." Tell a manager. Tell a manager. It's above, it's above my pay grade. Yeah. So I did that. I went down and found a manager. It took forever to find a manager who would talk to me. Hmm. I let them know they acted very concerned. Mm-hmm. And then uh, nothing. The next day, I checked back and nothing had happened. Hmm. Okay. And I just I should tell you we've got a. Uh, We've got a, a, a person on the inside at Walmart. We know a person. I'm not going to say their name. I don't want to sell them out. You know, but right. But but we we have a nerd on the uh, we have nerd on the inside. nerd on the inside. Yeah. And he said, "Ah, this display still up." And I've talked to the management about it also. And so you know, I did a social media post about it. And uh, today, after all, a lot of people commented and shared that post. And I, of course, I tagged Walmart and Fishing Game Law Enforcement in the post. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. And, uh, but, but North Country Angler and a few other fishing companies shared the post around. Uh, Walmart took down all the lead displays. It's all gone. Wow. Yeah, so they have no, no small lead in our local Walmart here in North Conway. That is incredible. Now, you know, you know what that says to me? Power. It says... Do you know who we are? <laughs> Finally, someone knew who I am. Do you know who we are? <laughs> yeah, don't underestimate the power of the nerds. Uh, but, but you know, actually, good credit to Walmart for getting it down. Yeah, exactly. You, you know what and, I mean? I know being the people who, Yeah, the people who work there can't just take things down. They've got to go through corporate. So having, you know, taking two days to get rid of it is probably reasonable <laughs> mm-hmm. for someone as big as Walmart. But at least they did it. So a little credit for Walmart, lots of credit for us. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. So now you have inspired me to go to my local Walmart mm-hmm. and to see if they have a similar display up. If they do, I will I will follow suit. Well, I would say I would I would hope see. that everybody goes to their local big box retailer and make sure that they're being responsible. Yeah, why not? You know, I mean, it's 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 really, you know, I've heard a lot of people complaining about you know, oh yeah, Walmart does that all the time, and so and so does that all the time. It's like, well, if you're not going to do anything about it, <laughs> right? You can walk around and bitch about it, or you can do something that's proactive and solves a problem, right? Right. And and one of the things I liked about what you did, and and you you tend to have this philosophy, which is one of the things I like about you, is that um, you know it's it's a no harm. It, it's like, look, whatever. Let's not have any drama. Right. This this is the deal. Let's fix it. Right. Although I wish Walmart had come after us. Chris and my wife says, what if Walmart sues you? I was like, that would be awesome. 
Can you imagine, like, the power that would give us if Walmart went, you know what, fish nerds, we're coming after you. Like, we would totally win. Or maybe not in court, but socially, we'd socially, win. Socially, we would win. Yeah, so come on, Walmart. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they care. No. But, but, anyway. but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. So, c- congratulations. Good yeah. on you, man. Yeah, I know a lot of people said uh, it's, the, it's the fisherman's responsibility to follow the law. And not Walmart's fault. Mm. And uh, I had mixed feelings about that. I'm, I'm like, yeah, you're right on both counts. Although Walmart's selling stuff, it's illegal to even sell. Um, but I, I think uh, I think by selling illegal gear, I mean they're selling to a lot of kids and people who don't know much about fishing. It's not, and they assume that when they buy stuff, they can buy stuff they can use. So, right. That that's the big issue, and it, it was almost like that display was set up for kind of. Hey, you're getting into fishing. Here's an easy way to do it. Grab a bunch of this stuff. For $4, you can catch fish and kill loons. <laughs> Hate those birds anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah bastards. Does. All right. Anyway, if you if you see something, say something, right? Oh, very nice slogan there. Yeah, there I think that's, that's a terrorist thing. I think Donald Trump said that or something. <laughs> yeah. Northeast hunting and fishing show. Yeah, yeah. I went. I went to this like in February and haven't had a chance to deal with all the tape I recorded. So uh, this is just a quick walkthrough of that fishing show. We met lots of cool people, some famous people, and my family was with us. And here's that bit. Right, ClayGrovesFishNerds.com. We are in, where are we, Hartford? We're in Hartford, Connecticut at the, at the Northeast Fishing and Hunting Show. We had no plan on coming here, but we were driving through town and saw that it was happening, and so we thought we'd stop by on our way to Virginia Beach. And we are my family, Kristen, Zoe, and Sammy. And we're going to go out here and see how much fun a family can have in one hour's time. So that's the goal. I would say, so here, Kristen, you are setting your timer? I am setting the timer. Timer is set. It's 11, 10 a.m. Goal will be done by 12, 10 p.m. On your mark, get set, go. The Hartford Outdoor Expo. Hartford, 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 Hartford Hunting Fishing Expo. And magically, we bump into fish nerd correspondent Hugo Medeiros and... Wicked Fish at Dave Perry. How are you guys doing? Doing excellent. Nice to see another show. Something to do in the winter. Uh, couldn't be out there ice fishing, I don't think, today. Ice is building, but uh, it's supposed to be like 20 below zero, I guess. So Yeah, and ice has been tricky in New, in New Hampshire. I know down here it's probably even worse, right? Have you ice fished in Massachusetts yet this year, Dave? Yeah, we've been out a couple of times, um, and this weekend I am taking off because next weekend I'm going to be up on Lake Champlain for four days. Lake Champlain. Yeah, yeah we've got a, a big um, Indian Hill Pike Fest that we're going to be doing with Mike DeVillers and Indian Hill Ice Traps. Zoe, they're going pike fishing. Do you, Zoe, do you remember pike fishing? No. No. Okay, great. We took, I took Zoe and Sam pike fishing on the Connecticut River once, and we caught a pike that was bigger than Sam. Wow. Nice. I'm hoping to catch one of those through the ice. Have you got one through the ice? I've got small 18-inch pike through the ice. I don't have anything of any substantial size. Yeah, well, Michael put you on the monsters. Uh, Hugo, what have you seen here that's been great? Um, well, besides uh, some friends that I know that uh, we see at all the expos, um, I like the BioEdge frog scents. I got David here, uh, Wicked Fisher, got me into frogging uh, this summer. I spent a lot of time out of my kayak frogging in the lily pads. I didn't know BioEdge had a frog scent, so I got a frog wand. Now I'm thinking of uh, summer bass fishing in the kayak already, but still uh, hoping to ice fish. Uh, Zoe, do you know what frogging is? Uh, catching frogs. All right. So, Hugo, are you talking about catching frogs? No, I'm using the little rubber frogs to throw in the lily pads and the weeds to catch the big bass. And Hugo, since Hugo, you are a culinary correspondent, you just tried the crab cake, or was it seafood cake, and what did you think? Uh, it's perfect. I think it's delicious. They do a good job. I'm, I'm a fan of any time I get free food, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, and I enjoyed it. Good. Hugo brought some of his homemade beef jerky if you want to try some beef jerky. 
beef jerky, best day of my life. Only a fish nerd correspondent, cooking correspondent would travel with food that he cooked. This is great. What a great coincidence. Yeah, so while you're at the show here, you should also check out uh, Ralph Diarco, Radfish Lures. They're here. Uh, Al Gag with his Al Gag Whippets. Uh, I know you're in it to Jack Houghton and Daddy Mac Lures. And I'm looking to catch up with uh, my buddy, Greg Meyerson, uh, World Record Striper. So the World Record Striper company's here. You should show the girls that striper. It's a beautiful fish. Thank you, guys. It was so nice meeting you, ladies. So nice to meet you. I feel like we're already part of the Fish Nerd family. Like I said, I see you online all the time. Uh, I think your daughter needs some milk. (laughs) That beef jerky's hot. Oh, my goodness. No joke. Right, so Clay Gross, fishnerds.com, hanging out with Joe from Why Not Fishing in, in Connecticut. And what the heck are you doing in Connecticut? <laughs> That's a great question. So what we're doing is we're taking the great events we do on the North Shore and that team network and fun and enthusiasm and replicating it now in Connecticut and across the country. So we're originally from Connecticut, so it made sense to come here first. Oh, really? Connecticut? I'm so sorry. I know, um, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, so we... Um, we don't get to your events very often because you're in Massachusetts and I'm, and I'm for three hours north of you. I, yeah. We just have me driving by. Um, but your events, talk about your events. Yeah, so our events, we love it. We do on-the-water events and off-the-water events. So in the winter, we run informal meetups, usually based on a fishing topic. So this week, we had a freshwater fishing night. So we invited people like Tim Moore Outdoors, Daddy Mac Lures, Go Fish Dan, Jace Custom Rods, and got about a ton of people together and raffled off about $2,000 worth of stuff for two hours on a Wednesday night and having fun. That's remarkable to me. Now, um, my advice to you, yes. keep doing what you're doing, but then make your way up to New Hampshire sometime and do a night there with the Fish Nerds and with Tim Moore and the whole gang, and we do it, we'll, we'll, we'll do it right for you. We will do a Fish Nerds night. We have actually our team captain, Sean Karen. He's our kayak fishing team captain in New Hampshire, so we'll lean on him and push him to do that event, and we can't wait to do it. Great. You heard it here first uh, in Connecticut. Why Not Fishing is coming to New Hampshire someday. <laughs> Next two months. Right. Two months. And you can find Why Not all over the internet. But their Facebook page is rocking, and that's a good place to start, right? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Joe. Good to see you again. Jim Struble. This is Jim Struble, and he's with OurIncrediblefoods.com. And what are we serving today, Jim? Uh, we have a crab cake with spinach, garlic, and Parmesan cheese, and a seafood cake, which is our most popular item with shrimp, crab, and scallop. All right, we're going to do a taste test. Zoe, what do you think of that? It tastes like it has scallop in it yeah. and crab. Yeah. All right, good. Any, and what's it taste like? Delicious. It tastes like delicious. I'm going to taste one, too. Kristen's tasting one right now. Kristen, what is your thought on that? Very good. Very good. I'm going to have one, too. Let's see. Oh, those are excellent. Wow, thank you so much. So it's OurIncrediblefoods.com. So thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good to meet you. (laughs) What do you really think? Delicious. My very good friend, Jack, from Daddy McElroy. Jack, how are you? Good. How are you, Clay? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you. Welcome to Connecticut. Thank you. Thank you. We had no intention of stopping here, and we're on our way to Virginia Beach, and we saw that you were coming here, and we were driving through, and we thought, you know what? We'll, we'll never get here again. Oh, so. Awesome. Great. It's good to see you. Why is it a mermaid with a bow and arrow through its heart, and why is it doing a cigarette, and why does it, and why does it have fins? Uh, those are all good questions. Uh, so this is Daddy. It's a picture of Daddy Mac himself, but he doesn't actually have fins. But the key with the logo is to remember it and to remember the brand. So when you look at it, when you look at it, you're going to remember Daddy Mac Lures. Well, it says Daddy Mac Lures. Right. So that, that's why we do it. So she's saying, why don't you just write Daddy Mac and leave it there? Because no one is going to remember that. They're going to remember a man with with a merman with our. Uh, mom tattoo and a cigar in his mouth. How do you think you should fish with kids? 
Uh, you should always take kids fishing to catch fish. Don't take them out striper fishing where you get one, one hit a night. Make sure that there's constant action. Keep them interested. Definitely. What should kids be doing when they're at an expo? Uh, they should be learning, uh, seeing the different products that are out there. Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a trout pond here. Uh, oh, yeah. It's uh, a lot of kids. The expos are very kid-centric, and they, they, um, it's a good place to hang. Well, Jack from Daddy McLaurin, great to see you again. Good to see you, Clay. I'm looking for you guys. Oh, name's Dwight. Dwight. Oh, Dwight. <laughs> I thought it was, it was, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, it's right. Dwight, Dion. I don't ever recognize you out of context. Dwight, how are you? Pretty good. Yourself? Good. Are you working for Radfish today? I do. I thought Ralphie was the guy. No, he pro-staffed me last year, and we've been doing great together with the Z-slugs and trick sticks in my hands all year. So cool. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. This is the most bizarre thing. People are buying stuff from you, which is great, right? A great local bait company, and they catch fish above all. Yeah. And where are you out of? Massachusetts. Um, me, yep, me personally. I'm out of Brookfield, Massachusetts. The, Rad, the Radfish logo and name bait company is all out of Springfield, Massachusetts. So we're about as local to Massachusetts as it gets. Yeah, that's cool. And, and I drove down from New Hampshire this morning from northern New Hampshire, and we're on our way to Virginia Beach, and, on, and we just happened to know the show was happening. It's coincidental that we're here at all. So Excellent. Well, we enjoy seeing you guys everywhere we fish. Hank Rindrod of Earthwork Programs. Earthwork Programs, and what do you do? So we teach wilderness survival skills and a way to be able to connect with the natural world and get off the screen time, you know, get outside. A lot of folks are inside way too much or on the screen way too much. So we kind of create this way for them. It's like a kind of a bridge for them to actually get outside. And we do it through primitive skills. So now I've taught outdoor education before. I work for summer camp programs. I've done all this. And I smell... I smell bushfire. Are you making fires? Oh, we are. Um, what we're doing is we're doing something called the bow drill. And the bow drill is, is one of those things where there's two woods that are coming together, and it's like rubbing sticks together, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because you actually have to have the right speed, the right pressure, and that's something that is a very humbling experience for a lot of people. So it actually creates this way of... Using fire is like a transformative, transformation tool. And people take something like they're not familiar with, and then they're actually creating smoke, and they have to work together in order to make it happen. Yeah. Now, as someone who has taught how to make bro drills and taught people to do this before, I've done this, this thing. The, getting smoke is easy. Getting fire is the challenge. What's the big trick here? So everyone can make smoke. How do you actually make fire? Yeah. So one of the things that I, that I find is, is really having the intention to make fire, like before anything else. And, and, and I work with different elders, like Native American elders. And I thought you meant old people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they have this you know, cultural history of their ancestors being able to make fire, which means our ancestors made fire, which means if we didn't have fire, we wouldn't be here. And so... When they're able to understand that, that they can actually create that and then work together, then it's more than just making fire. It means something so much more. And then what we do is we go in and we mentor. Little fine-tuning here and there. Okay, put your arm here. Put your hand here. Lock this against your you know, shin right here. There's a little bone in your hand right in between... Um, like right above your, your, the end of your thumb and down by your wrist, and there's like a little groove that fits right into your shin, almost like we were designed to actually do this skill. Like all that history is exciting and everything, but when you're really working with kids, it's that, that, that like joy you get when you finally make the smoke and you finally get that poof of flame, right? Um, is that cedar? It is cedar, yeah. So, so this is, um, you know, as he's interviewing me, he's seeing what we're doing, and his kids are over here working with the tools with one of our mentors. And 
he can smell the fire and also see the wood and say, oh, that's cedar. There's no leaves on it. There's no branches to indicate opposite or alternate or world growth or anything like that. But truly is a seasoned man to be able to say, oh, that's cedar. I know that. I've done this. <laughs> and, I, and I cheat, too, because I'll buy some cedar from the hardware store and I'm doing it just so I have like a block of wood that's like I know is going to be successful when I'm working with kids. Much more difficult when you're in the bush and you're like looking for the right wood. So let's say in New England, you're in the woods and just upland forest. What do you look for to find for, for fire making? So <clears throat> this is great because in some areas there's not a lot of cedar. So it's really important that you know your trees and you know your shrubs and you know your biennial plants. Because mullen, that is like that bright flowery plant in this, you know, in the summer, they're always like, oh yeah, I can see that thing. It grows really tall stock. That's a perfect plant to use for hand drill, which is a primitive fire method. Um, and for the bow drill, you can also use mullen. You can use burdock, which is another plant that has those little burrs, like little Velcro, you know, like it's almost like nature's Velcro. And that's where we get into biomimicry where it's like we got the idea of creating Velcro from these little plants and these little hooks that are on the plants. <clears throat> so the, and when we're looking at trees, we're looking at basswood or linden. Um, these are like the favorite wood of woodcarvers. And they grow right next to the streams, right next to the rivers. And they have these huge leaves that are great indicators because they look this, like this giant teardrop. And that they're edible, um, it's medicinal. I mean, it's like when you start to get a relationship with these trees, you really start to figure out, like, there's birch, there's sassafras, there's, you know, even white pine can work, even right. though it has resin. So, so that's really important. Um, what you just illustrated is the importance of knowing your environment. And so when people are learning to live in the bush, they think, I'm going to learn how to make a bow drill, I'm going to learn how to make a... Um, you know, how to hunt and learn how to fish, but they forget about learning their environment, and it's really important detail. Now, how can people find out more about your program? Yeah, so uh, so we're Earthwork Programs, like I said. Um, you can find us at earthworkprograms.com. Um, and one of the things I want to mention is that we do work with kids, and we do work with bigger kids. We work with adults, and we do expedition trips. So we might go to Alaska or the Everglades or Patagonia, and so that's something that we're also doing is we're kind of like expanding this in this region, but also in other regions where we're connecting with the local pe the people that live locally there, some of the native people in, the, in those areas. And we have a really, um, we have a newsletter that we send out. So you can go on our website, click the newsletter, and you can also like us on Facebook. We're on Facebook as well. Perfect. And, of course, all that stuff's a lot of words. Fishnerds.com, we'll put links up, pictures up of today, pictures of your bow drill, and you'll be able to find our show there as well. And we'll mention it, of course, where everyone can get it, and we'll share it with our network. So thank you so much. All right. Well, thanks very much. Have a great day. All right, ClayGrossFishnerz.com, here with Jerry from... Forever Wild Outdoors, Adrenaline Adventures television show. All right, and what is this show? It's a hunting and fishing show. Uh, we've been on the Sportsman's Channel for the last two years, and we're going to be debuting on the Pursuit Channel here in April of this year. Well, that's really exciting. And, and uh, what's your show, like, what's the theme? Obviously, outdoor, right? It's, it's about kind of passing it forward on to uh, future generations. It's about um, not the size of the trophy, but the size of the experience that we have as hunters and, and anglers. Uh, but we do it all. We do turkey hunting, big game, and fishing as well. And people can find your show, again, on those channels. Let's say them one more time. On the Pursuit Channel, we're going to be debuting again in April of this year. Uh, we also have a website, foreverwildoutdoors.com, and we do all the social media stuff, Instagram and Facebook and all that. Great. And the Fish Nerds, of course, will share all that stuff with our social media and make sure our people can find your people and they can check out your show. So now tell me, what's the wildest thing that's ever happened while making your show? 
Oh, we've had a ton of experiences. I will say on a, on a fishing side, uh, we were at um, one of our sponsors, Outfitter sponsors last year, um, KB, Watson's KB Lodge up in northwest Ontario, Canada, and we did a fly-in fishing trip for uh, Pike and uh, Walleye, which was an exciting trip, great facility. I'd highly recommend it to any of the anglers out there. Watson's KB Lodge up in northwest Ontario province. Let me ask you one more question. As someone who, who dreams of making a living fishing, it has to work a day job and make a show on top of that. You make a living doing this? No, I'm kind of like you. I got a daytime job back home. I'm married. I got a wife and daughter back home, and this is our passion. This is kind of my second job. It's it's tough. It's a lot of work, but um, it's very rewarding all the same. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest with you. And we're finding the same thing. Like As we get popular and stuff, making a living seems to be like a secondary thing. And the hobby, the interest, the excitement, the nerdiness of it really is what gets people involved. Yeah, and, and some of the people that we've met over the years, uh, the great outfitters, the, the fans that we have of our television show, and all the great hunts and, and fishing trips that we've been on, I wouldn't change it for anything. The Trout Pond at this expo, and uh, we're, we're first in line. And if a kid catches a fish with a tag on it, they win a prize. So that's the goal. Win a prize. Get our $6 back. That's the goal, girls. Orange tagged trout. You going to get one, Zoe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of trout are these, do you think? Rainbow. Rainbow. I think so, too. We call those California trout. You know why they're called California trout? Because rainbow trout are native to California, and they were brought to New England on trains on, from California. All right, so these guys just have fishing poles with a string tied to the end, a hook, and a worm, and there are a thousand trout in there. What do you think of that, Zoe? I'm fishing for trout. What's your strategy? Um, to try to um, cut teeth. You see your hook? Are you seeing your hook? Right there. Right. Oh, there's a big one. They're so big. Sam, what's your strategy? My strategy is jigging. Jigging is a good strategy. Whoa, whoa, get him! Oh, he's under, he's under. Get him, get him, get him! Shut the hook! Oh, it's so sad. There's a dead trout in the pond. I wonder how many trout... Oh, so we got one! Hey, we got one! We got a fish! Oh, my goodness! It's the humunga cowabunga from down under! Wow. That's amazing. Wow, we're getting wet. We're getting splashed from that one. That's big, nice old rainbow trout. What do you think of that fish, Sam? Big. Give it a kiss, Zoe. Give it a kiss. Wow, that was exciting. Hey, so Zoe got a fish. What do you think about that fish? Awesome. Awesome. What was it again? Rainbow trout. And what was your technique? What's your skill set? What's the trick? Tease. Tease that fish. All right. Good job, you guys. Oh, I see a tagged one there, Zoe. Do you see it? Yeah. Oh, I see a fish with a tag. Oh, Sam got one. Oh, my goodness. It's a fish. It's huge. Woo. Wow, Sam, nice catching. That's amazing. Quit swinging around. <laughs> wow, good work, Sam. I lifted it up by myself. Nice work, Sam. Wow, so both kids got a fish. You know, I've done this before. I've never seen a kid catch a fish. Clay, Greg Myers. Greg, I do a show called The Fish Nerds. I've been following World Record Striper Company for a long time. Congratulations, by the way. Cool. I uh, just heading up to do a seminar, but no, I got a few minutes. Good. I just need one minute. So, first of all, what is the World Record Striper Company? The Striper, the Striper Company was formed uh, after I caught the World Record Striper on something that I invented. So, uh, you know, after we caught the World Record Striper, everybody wanted to 
have us come to their shows like this, right? So we had to form a company just to take the money. And we patented the product that I'd been using as my secret weapon for years, the rattle sinker, which is a fish call. Basically, it attracts fish through sound and frequency of lobster and crayfish. And everyone knows it from, from, from Shark Tank, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, this thing, it took on a mind of its own. You know, I invented this thing in my shed, and then uh, next thing you know, um, I'm on Shark Tank and in front of the whole country. Now, it's every fisherman's dream, right? So do you now make a living as an angler? Uh, not really. No, I still work as a union electrician for now. Um, our company really started in May, pretty much, when we aired, and we did a lot of website, web business, you know. But now, you know, with Mark Cuban, we're getting into thousands of stores all around, you know. So we're, we're going to grow pretty quick. I think this will be my main gig pretty soon, yeah. You know, it's everyone's dream. All of us in the industry are all yeah, looking for that way, right? It's a tough thing, you know. I mean, I... I see people with all kinds of cool stuff, and it works, and it looks good, but they just can't get a business going because it's so hard, you know? And you got to have a lot of luck and things falling into place and to, to even make it work. And your presentation at Shark Tank was fabulous. I was, like, cheering for you when I saw it. So Yeah, you know, I was really nervous, though. You know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't show it as much, but I was. Yeah, very. I can't imagine. Hey, do you mind if I take a picture with you? Yeah, and then sure. good. Sorry about all that. No, that's all right. I know you're in a hurry. All right, so the goal was to be at this expo for one hour. Kristen, how do we do? Not well. Uh, we've been here for an hour and a half, and there's still lots more to see. So uh, the determination is you need to budget at least two and a half hours probably to do one of these right. Uh, and um, it is true they are good for kids. All right, that's the consensus. Zoe, did you have fun? Yeah. Sam, did you have fun? Really fun. There's a nerd in Missouri. <laughs> there's a nerd in Missouri. That's the old classic song. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Every, everybody knows that song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> this came, this nerd was posted on Facebook. This is an all, a longtime listener and fan and fish nerd, Ben Contrell. I like that guy. Total nerd. He's a big species angler, right? He is a big species angler in this segment. So what I did is he posted a trip that he did in Missouri. And he said, hey, I went off on the weekend and caught these fish. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing array of fish, so much so that I was, I was compelled to give him a call and talk about it. And uh, the, this is – oh, and I also did a little bit of an NPR take on this interview. So oh, good. That will make up for the uh, crappy mix I did on Northeast Hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fishy, fishy, fishy! Two fish? Shall I call a few more, Bert? Yeah, yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah! Oh, just like this. Fishy, fishy, fishy! Three fish? Four fish? Five fish? Wow! Wow, indeed, as Bert and Ernie have pointed out. Counting fish is fun. And I caught up with a guy who, let's see, what number is he at now? So this was number 323. 323. Ben Cottrell, an old friend of ours from the Fish Nerds, has uh, a life list of 323, and he posted on Facebook on his latest trip, and I wanted to get the details, so I called him up. I left Central Illinois Thursday right after work and then came back Sunday night. Three and a half days, three nights. Yeah, so I, I did three nights in my car um, and it, it did get a little chilly, um, but I, I made it. So I, I drove down Thursday night, uh, stayed the night at one of the fishing spots. And then uh, the next morning, one of my buddies who lives in Southern Illinois, he drove over and joined me for the day. But um, he got sick by the end of the day and decided to call it quits and drive home. Um, so then it was just me the rest of the trip. And he took his trip down. He usually just doesn't go for any old fish. He usually has a target. So I asked him, what was he targeting this trip? I was hoping to get into Buffalo because um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to get better at catching Buffalo. So when I show up at a spot, I immediately put, you know, a night crawler or a red worm on and throw that out. Um, and then, you know, see if anything picks it up. Then I open up a can of corn and I throw, you know, most of a can of corn out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I throw, uh, alfalfa pellets 
Um, it's sold as uh, rabbit food at Walmart. Really? Wow. Yep. So if, if you pick up a handful of it and smell it, it's real sweet smelling. Um, and so the, the scent gets into the water, and so you got this big chum pile. Um, and it usually takes about a half hour or 45 minutes for the carp to show up. Um, and for whatever reason, they always show up first. And then maybe at about an hour, you'll start seeing buffalo show up. Um, but this time it was just carp. Um, I got about, I don't know, 10 of them or so. Last year, I, I worked real hard at Buffalo and caught a lot of smallmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and was, you know, always hoping there'd be a black mixed in, um, but haven't seen one yet. I'm not sure they exist. <laughs> They've got crazy big fleshy lips, and I think everyone who's caught one is just photoshopping. <laughs> photoshopping, indeed. Yeah, you're probably right. The one of the things he was catching was some interesting fish on fish, and what I'm getting at is chestnut lamprey, a parasitic lamprey species found in the Mississippi drainage. A few of those lampreys were attached to the carp, um, and for those that aren't familiar, lampreys are a very primitive fish um, before even the lower jaw was developed. Some of them are parasitic and chestnut lampreys are. And so they seek out um, bigger fish like the carp, uh, suction cup onto them, uh, and then basically use their teeth to, to bore a hole into the fish and then suck out its juices. Now, we did catch some normal fish. One of them was a black bullhead. We love bullheads. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's really not the most exciting catch. However, um, my, my friend uh, from Southern Illinois that came over, um, he keeps a life list as well, and he really, really wants a black bullhead. <laughs> and they're found in the waters right next to his house. And, in fact, I've caught him just 15 minutes from his house. <laughs> and it drives him nuts. So he was standing probably five feet away from me when I caught this. That's always one of the funnest things to do when fishing with your friends is to outfish them and remind them that uh, fishing is difficult. They also found some really interesting fish in some small water, but they had some problems with them. And we knew that there were some really cool species here. Slough darters, um, banded pygmy sunfish, which is one that you wouldn't believe exists until you see it. Oh, they're super cool. And I mean, I don't even know if they get two inches long. They're they're an inch, inch and a half, but they're they're a neat little kind of mean-looking, aggressive fish with really cool um, vertical bars. Um, we were catching males and females. The females were starting to get gravid. Yeah, um, in fact, I think quite a few people do. Um, I've never tried it, um, but I, I know they like really heavily vegetated um, aquariums. They mm-hmm. like plants to hide in. Um, and I, I know a number of people breed them, um, and I, I don't think it's easy, but, you know, I think people have figured it out. One of the nice things about micro fishing when you're when you're fishing for these small fish is that it's often legal just to pull out the net and see if they're there. So we're trying to catch them, you know, with, with the micro hooks, just kind of bouncing around on the bottom blindly, you know, because we can't see anything. Right. Um, so I don't know. We, we spent an hour there, nothing, and. Um, before we packed up, we just grabbed a net out of the car and scooped and pretty much every scoop of the net, you'd get like four or five fish, you know, that Mm. you were hoping to catch hook and line. Now hook and line, that's very important to Ben. Ben with his life list, his 323 fish that he has caught, uh, he's very particular about the rules on that. And a good example is the cypress darter that he caught. Yeah, but this is not a good story. <laughs> See, I, I don't understand why you don't count these. But go ahead. Tell your story. Well, you know, so long story short, I caught it, but the hook was not inside its mouth. It was on the outside. Now, why don't you count that? Well, it's a snagged fish. Yeah, but it clearly was trying to go for the hook. Yeah, you got to draw the line somewhere. And you know, if you start counting, you know, fish that are hooked in the outside of the mouth, what about if it's in the cheek? It counts. It's good. What if, what if it's back by the ear flap? <laughs> I mean, you've seen fish just swipe at stuff, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why that? I don't know. So, so that's your line. It has to be actually in the mouth. 
Yep. Hmm. It's simple. It, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty strict and, you know, if in doubt, go catch another one. Right. This one, unfortunately, wasted probably an hour and a half of my day. Hmm. And, uh, I don't know, I'm not too happy about it. <laughs> now, were you sight fishing this thing? Could you see it? Yeah, it was, um, it was a, a ditch with a lot of vegetation, um, but surprisingly clear. I don't know why some ditches are, you know, super muddy and other ones are super clear, but, mm. um, this one was just loaded up with them. And, uh, the tricky thing was, is if you found one by itself, you could get it to peck at your bait. But as soon as two of the males saw each other, they just started doing battle and chasing each other around. Oh, wow. So, you know, you'd have one honed in on your bait and you see another one starting to creep up. And you're like, no, 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 go away. <laughs> and, you know, they'd see each other, they'd lock eyes, and then the battle was on. You just had to move on and go find another one to target. That is, by the way, an ultra nerdy thing to do to be, you know, sitting in a ditch watching fish do battle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what size uh, hook are you using for these things? Uh, it's the Tanago um, owner Tanago hook. They have they have two different models that are a little different shape, but they don't have a, a number with them. Yeah, it, I know one of you guys said you didn't like them. Well, yeah, I I actually can't get anything hooked up on them, but then I I also haven't sat for an hour and a half trying to catch a darter either. So um, yeah, maybe that's the difference. Now they weren't all difficult for him to catch on this weekend. Then you got a black spotted top minnow. So those are actually real easy to catch. They <laughs> they swim right along the surface of the water, and if you kind of um, splash any sort of bait along the surface, they'll just rush right over and grab it. And so I caught that right after that the snagged um, cypress starter, just to make myself feel better. <laughs> just to prove that you could you could do it. Yeah. And he also talked about catching some brook darters. You can walk over from a ditch, and there's a little. Um, you know, creek that's so small, you could just hop over it. Um, and it's just loaded with these brook darters. And, you know, you got people jogging by and people walking their dogs. And I don't think anyone knows they're in there. And and this is the time of year to see them. Um, so March, April, um, they get real, the males get really colorful. Um, they, they, you know, fight each other and pursue the females. And you can sit there and watch the whole thing go down. Now, darters are really interesting and a really great target for micro-fishermen. And one especially good one is the rainbow darter. Yeah, rainbow darters, they must have one of the biggest ranges um, of any of the darter species. And, and they're colorful, they're real big. Um, for people that do micro-fishing, it's usually the first darter they catch. They're pretty aggressive if you, you know, just stand still for a little while and they forget you're there. And then I asked him about some banded sculpin that he had posted some pictures of on Facebook. All right. So this was after dark. <laughs> Fatigue was setting in. Um, we, so Garen, Garen my, my buddy from Southern Illinois, he was still with me, but he was feeling pretty awful at this point. Mm. Um, so so we, we went along the Current River, um, which is a real popular um, river to go, you know, canoeing down or floating down. Um, in southern Missouri. Yeah. Um, so we, we walk along shore uh, with a spotlight, um, find the fish, you know, sitting there on the bottom, and then uh, you just put a bait, I don't know, inch in front of it, and it'll rush forward and grab it. About the easiest, easiest fish to catch. Yeah. So Garen was feeling absolutely horrible. I think he was, you know, choking back the Taco Bell, which was trying to come back up. Um, <laughs> We caught him one sculpin, and then he's like, I'm out of here. Oh, no. Yeah, you could have had him around for chumming, though. (laughs) (laughs) Jack lighting, you know, using the flashlight to find the fish. That's actually legal up in uh, New Hampshire. You can't do that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You can't shine a light in the water for any, pretty much any reason. I used to catch, in Indiana, modeled sculpin, and uh, they would be under rocks. You just kind of float a bait by them, and they'd pop out and grab it and take it back in. So, Yep, yeah, real similar. Now, I had a question for him. I asked him what kind of bait was he using for these small darters and things. Uh, just a, a little piece of red worm. 
like one segment. I, I use, a, you know, the Swiss Army knife scissors and just snip off a little piece. So then I noticed on his Facebook post, he had posted a Black River Mad Tom. A Black River Mad Tom. Yeah, so this was the saving grace of the trip. Yeah. You know, I was, I was trying to catch a new species for my life list. And out of the three days, this was the only one. Um, so Mad Toms are really small catfish, two to three inches. You know, this one might have been three or a little bit, a little bit more. But anyway, we, we saw a few of them, you know, kind of swimming around between the rocks when we were shining for sculpin. Um, and so, you know, they're just about as easy. If, if you can get a bait right in front of them, um, their smelling ability is just incredible. So, you know, I've, I've got this tiny nub of red worm, you know, much smaller than a pencil eraser. And, you know, you can be six inches away and they'll just rush right over and grab it. Yeah. So not only did I catch my first one, but I think I've pretty much mastered them. Try to stay modest about it. Right. Of course. Yes. Of course. (laughs) Now, I had to keep him modest because then I asked him about one of his big nemesis fish, the gizzard shad. Oh, God, I hate gizzard shad. So I, I think the first time I saw gizzard shad was back in maybe 2009 or so. Um, up in Wisconsin, and there's just swarms and swarms of them below a dam. And, you know, naturally I got excited. Here's a fish I can catch. Well, I spent all day putting tiny hooks in front of them, and they wouldn't bite. Mm. And, you know, there's there's people next to me catching walleye, and one guy's catching a muskie, and, and here I am just, like, bent over <laughs> trying to catch little five-inch gizzard shad. So I get home and I read up on them and it's, oh, they're, they're filter feeders. Well, that's a bummer. Um, but then I start hearing reports of, and, and from people I know that say you can catch them hook and line, that they'll get aggressive certain times a year. Um, and especially in winter and then in early spring. And I guess the theory is that they're, you know, kind of half starved at that point because um, there's not a lot of, you know, algae or whatever in the water that they would normally filter feed on mm-hmm. and so i mean you can google um gizzard shad you know fly fishing whatever and, and you'll see all these pictures of them hitting jigs hitting hitting little flies you know um and so i've spent you know the last six or seven years trying to get one um and i just can't do it and and the one i caught um over the weekend was hooked just on the outside of the lip now we have um out here we have american shad which are big sport fish of course and um but then also river herring which are primarily filter feeders too but we use have you ever heard of sabiki rigs sure yeah 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 Yeah. so we use sabiki rigs on those about size six and they absolutely hit those so why, why do you think they hit them is it a little bit of something they think that is food or are they just being aggressive because they're crazy or, or what? I, I think they're eating them as food. I think they think they're like fish fry or something and they're, they're turning on them and eating because they're definitely targeting them, but it's mm. hard to tell. Um, the other amazing thing out here is we have sea run or close to sea run uh, gizzard shad. And they look interesting. Yeah, they look totally different than. You know, so the picture you have there, that's the one I'm familiar with seeing in like some of the reservoirs and things out in Midwest. The um, These gizzard shads, I, I saw them moving through a fish ladder in, in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and they were probably 16 inches long, I would say. That's big. Yeah, and they were just big, bulbous, their heads, it's like, it's like you take a, a gizzard shad like you caught and then blow it up like a balloon. Talking about blowing fish up like balloons. Those kind of conversations can only happen between fish nerds. (laughs) Good luck out there, Ben, as you search for number 324. And please keep those reports coming into the fish nerds. in the news <laughs> i've heard that this one comes from the huff post oh i like those guys and it says porcupine fish trapped in a net 
Oh, you have to say that like Ariana Huffington. Pokemon <laughs> <laughs> fish. I don't. I don't know what she has. A weird accent. She's got she some. That... I think it's pretend. Oh yeah, like a very highbrow. Highbrow oh, Germanic. Fufi, I have a new post. Pokemon. Do you really love the porcupine? <laughs> anyway, porcupine fish is trapped in a net. Oh. But BFF won't leave his side. BFF. Is that, what is that? Uh, best friend forever. They have best friends forever? Apparently, if you're a porcupine fish and you have a friend, you should you should stick with it. Oh, okay. <laughs> stick with it. <laughs> so there's, there's this video that apparently has, you know, set the social media world on fire mm-hmm. of this porcupine fish caught in a net in the coral sea uh, I guess around Thailand or something oh, like yeah, that oh yeah yeah I've seen the video now yeah oh, they're so cute oh they're very cute they're, oh they're my like, goodness <laughs> they're like little pocket books I want one I know they're so oh cute my god <laughs> lovely um, so basically this this porcupine fish is stuck in a trap or in a net and another one is just hanging out kind of waiting for him to get unstuck right so they can do it Right, <laughs> because you know the uh, the internet is saying, "Oh, they're so great." They, you know, the one is waiting for the other one to make sure he's okay, mm-hmm. and you know they're best friends, and nope. and they ended up talking to Barbara J. King, an anthropology professor. Now, why an anthropology professor or an ant? I'm sorry, Be- anthropology. Because if we're going to anthropomorphize, we have to talk to that kind of professor, right? <laughs> I think you're <laughs> if right. If you want science, we talk to somebody else. <laughs> So she's an anthropology professor at the College of William and Mary. Ex- <laughs> expert at BFS. William and Mary? Yes. Is that a, that's a real college? Yes, College of yeah, oh, Bill and Mary. Wow. And right. uh, she suspects the fish are a male and female. Uh-huh. But she has no credentials from which to uh, make that statement. Right. <laughs> that's it. Well, that's it. That, that's all They're she said. They're not BFFs. He just wants to drop sperm on her eggs. Right, All right, exactly. That's fair. I believe that. But, man, they're cute. They are cute, and they are following each other around, and that's yeah. really great. Now, now my feeling is probably that they are mates. Mm-hmm. And if you're a porcupine fish, you get stuck all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll just wait for you this time there, William. <laughs> oh, God. William, Jesus Christ. You stuck again. Mary, will you stop yelling at me? I do the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> I told you not to go to that net. I told you not to go to that net. Why Mary, did you go to the net? Mary, I told you not to go please, to the net. Please, I can't focus while you're yelling at me. <laughs> yeah, so that is the anthropomorphized take from the fish nurse. I love so it. They're so cute. They are They are very cute. God, I like those fish. All right, good. that's good news. <laughs> good news. Yeah. We have another bit of news from WFTV. What the FTV? <laughs> Yes, it's Channel 9. It's an ABC affiliate. Oh, it's affiliate. a real thing. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's, a real, it's a real thing down in Florida. WFTV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So win a prize for catching a non-native fish. Love it. We win those all day. I know. Orange County, Florida. Florida Fish and Game Conservation Commission is holding a statewide non-native fish catch contest okay. until April 30th. It says, here's how it works. People go fishing, catch a non-native fish, and take a photo of it. Mm-hmm. Enter the location at which the fish was caught and report their findings to the competition website. Ooh, citizen science. Yes. Catches can also be reported by downloading the I've Got One app. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a fishing thing. Yeah. Um, by call, Or you could call in 888-I've-Got-One. Wow. <laughs> Don't Google that, though. So that's it. So they're going to just catch fish, kill them, take pictures. I guess. So by posting photos and catch data, uh, also that will go to an Instagram account. So, quote, Florida is home to at least 34 species of reproducing exotic fish. Mm -hmm. And new species continue to be found, which can impact native fish communities, says Fish and Wildlife Commission biologist Kelly Geestring. Right. Now, when they say non-native, they don't just mean... Invasive. They just mean what they don't like. They don't care about like game fish are probably okay with you leaving alone, but they're looking for more invasive fish. I would think. I, well, they're, they're just saying non-native. So right. even even some of the ones that I mean, snakeheads have become quite a sport fish down there. That's true. But like, uh, I mean, I, our bat. I mean, there must be like non-native game fish, like trout species or stuff like that. They must be wanting mm, to keep I, around. 
I don't know. I don't know if there's trout down there. I have no idea. Just Florida. By by removing and reporting non-native fish, the biologist Geestring says, anglers help manage populations of exotic species and help conserve our state's precious natural resources. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's really true. I don't think anglers can catch enough of them (laughs) to make a difference. But what they are doing is giving that, like, really good point data to fishing games so they know where these fish live. Yeah, that, that's, that's probably a bigger the deal. real reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just because they can't survey. And I bet you they can use um, some statistics to, to guess population numbers by where these fish are. Right. But uh, it's pretty cool. I wish they would encourage people to eat these things. I still get, you know, just the killing for the sake of it I don't like. Yeah, I mean, but, if you're if you're going to take the trouble to, I, I thought they were going to say take a picture and then show how you've murdered and eaten it. That would seem. I, I think that'd be really good. Or a giant statewide fish fry would be really yeah. fun. You know, like April thirtieth is Fish Fry Day. Go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. So that's that's from Florida. Our last bit of fishing news comes from Mashable. Ooh, potato news. Potato news. This comes from the world section of Mashable. Giant sinkhole appears overnight and swallows 25 tons of fish. Wow. And that's tons, T-O-N-N-E-S. So that is metric? That's probably metric. It's certainly fancy. Yeah. Fancy tons. They probably spell color, C-O-L-O-U-R. I'm, I'm, I bet it's Canadian. <laughs> well, the, the story goes, a Chinese farmer oh. from uh, Basia China. in Gachi. From China. 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 Uh, awoke to a shock on Tuesday when he discovered that tens of thousands of his fish had disappeared overnight. My goodness, someone stole so, According to local media reports, the helpless farmer, identified only by his surname Yang, <laughs> had attributed the loss to a sinkhole that opened up in the pond. Yang said, "Quote: I fish, or yeah, I fish noticed." Oh, first, sorry. Oh, it's hard to translate. It's hard to translate. Right, that's sorry. Yang said, I first noticed that the water levels in my pond had dropped at 4 a.m. Uh, while I was inspecting my farm. At 9 a.m., most of the water and all of the fish had gone draining into the sinkhole. Wow. And there's a picture of him looking into about a 15-foot across sinkhole at the bottom of his pond. Yeah, now I'm looking at that photo. I don't think I would want to stand right next to that sinkhole. It looks very <laughs> muddy and unstable. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, he says it was as if the fish grew wings and flew away. Mm, only except for they sank. <laughs> yeah. Only I've never seen way. wings before, and I don't know what flying means. Yeah. <laughs> Yang Sinkholes is not and- known for his brilliance. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> no Yang is yeah, not. No, not not the sharpest utensil. Uh, no, I mean like whatever happened. Like it's almost as if someone pulled a plug on a you know bathtub know. full of water. That makes sense. But flying is the opposite of what it's like. <laughs> you know, no. it's this. This would seem like a universal kind of understanding of like hole in bottom of pond, fish gone. Right. Got it. You don't even need to say it's almost like anything. You can just almost like the fish d- drained down a hole, which is what happened. Like it's. You can get rid of the word almost and just say the fish fell down a hole. You know, know. Sometimes you don't need to describe it any fancy way. <laughs> the story goes on. Maybe to he say, needs like a baseball analogy or some other thing we can also not relate to. I don't like him. I, I, I don't like Yang. Yeah. 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 Yang is. Well, you know, Yang's upset. Yeah. You know, he lost a whole pond of fish. Yeah. If his wife Ying was there, she'd straighten him right out. She, well, they balance each <laughs> yeah, they other. Do. They do. They really do. Uh, That's why they're so good together. That's why they're so good together. Sinkholes in China. I hate us. (laughs) Sinkholes in China are not uncommon. Uh huh. The story says in August last year, a sinkhole suddenly opened up near a bus stop and swallowed five pedestrians. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's almost like they flew away to heaven. (laughs) It's almost like they grew wings and flew. Yeah, became fish, (laughs) flying fish. So one of the things I I think that's weird about this story, they don't say where the fish went. Uh, well, the hell. They went to hell. I mean, everyone knows this. Well, have, have you ever, like when you were a kid and, and um, you always heard the story. <laughs> They're that if in you... Indiana. <laughs> well, exactly. So you, you dig a hole. I think they went to Florida. Uh, <laughs> oh, now someone's going to catch them all and win prizes in the Florida contest. Exactly. That's how all those non-natives are getting into Florida. Problem solved. Yep, yep. just going right through. The solution, send giant drain plugs to China. 
done and In fact, done. you can manufacture them there, too, and save on shipping. Oh, that's right. You yeah. can. You can. So, uh, wow. yeah, that's, there you that's, go. That's fantastic. Yeah, did you see how that all went around, all came about? Uh, only on the Fish Nerds. That's it. That's it. You've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you could have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, and do all sorts of silly things that middle-aged guys do. If you would like to support the fish nerds, and you should, go to patreon.com and give us a buck per per for every episode you listen to. So if you've already heard 100 episodes, start with $100. And go from there. Or just give us a dollar a show going forward. $4 a month. Yeah, easy. easy. Special thanks to Ben Cottrell and the Northeast Hunting and Fishing Show yeah, although we beautiful should, Connecticut. We shouldn't thank them. I paid to go in there. Yeah, screw <laughs> New Hampshire, Northeast <laughs> Hunting and Fishing Show yeah, from I, beautiful Connecticut. I, and it's Connecticut. I would take the road beautiful out as well. And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd, spawn early and often. Avoid free lunches with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. Now Walmart and Connecticut hates us. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep adding to the list. And uh, Yang. And Yang, yeah. But Ying, she gets it. Ying gets it. That's right. Yang. Yep. Not so much. Sorry. <laughs>